Uh, <laughs> you do have more basketball prowess than I do. It's quality of basketball? Like yeah. playing I mean, basketball during media training camp? Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, I agree I'm better. Yes. Uh, and I'm not very good at basketball. I can't shoot no. at I'm, all. Like I've been a lifelong basketball fan, but yeah, I've always been terrible at like actually playing it, and so I try to avoid it. I don't have any skill. I just can move and can jump. Yeah. No, I can't jump. I That's used not to, true. I <laughs> used to be able to jump, but yeah, I mean, I'm just old now. Like, I'm and old I have and tenacity. You don't have any now. tenacity. I'm too old for tenacity. Like, I move like I'm 42 years old, and I move like. Dirk 42 rather than Vince Carter 42. <laughs> okay. And there is a definite difference there. Um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm old and busted and that's For what... someone with a slash tattoo, you should have tenacity. Slash I have tenacity. I have mental tenacity. I don't have any physical tenacity. <laughs> I'm working on it though. Like, you know. You're working on your physical tenacity. I'm working, I'm working on improving my physical conditioning. That's good. I've dropped 25 pounds. Wow. Well. Congratulations. Uh, you know, I'm doing boxing and kickboxing. You're and doing boxing? Stuff. Yeah. Oh, wow. That would, that's the, the most tenacious. Like, sport. I'm not letting anyone hit me in the face, but, like, I, I take cardio boxing classes, and it's a lot okay. of fun. And I get to, like, punch things. And, you know, whenever you tick me off, I am just pretend, like, the heavy bag has your face on it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah Andy, fair. take that. That's fair. I'm like, there goes Andy talking about all his physical advantages over me, <laughs> but I can <laughs> pretend to punch him in the face. Uh, welcome into the weekly run. This is the Utah Jazz Podcast from the Solid Tribune. I'm Andy Larson. This is Eric Walden. We are the Utah Jazz beat writers for the trip. Uh, this is, we are now three days into the Jazz's training camp. We're coming at you Thursday. Um, what is today? October 3rd? I don't know. All the days yeah, October are 3rd. the same. Um, but that does mean that we, for the first time in a long time, have been around the Jazz for the last few days. And so we kind of thought we'd just kind of catch you guys up on what's going on with the Jazz by going up and down the roster and talking about uh, what we've heard from these guys and what we, what we think is going to be coming from... Uh, most of the players on the roster for for the season. I don't know that we'll talk about like uh, you know Jawan Morgan or Trevon Blewett or any of those guys, but um, there's, yeah, we'll there's do our probably best. no point to that. Yeah. So anyway, um, let's start. I'm just going to go down the the basketball reference list and start with Rudy Gobert. We've talked to Rudy a little bit. I was actually uh, s- disappointed in how. Uh, non-revealing he was in his interviews um in terms of like i here's what i like about rudy is always very sure of himself right but i I, he's a very smart basketball player but so like i asked him uh how do you think you can improve how do you think you can get better next season he said well i think i can get better offensively and defensively i'm like okay tell me more about that he's like well i think every player can improve in multiple facets of the game i'm like rudy you're not helping at all yeah that was it was pretty funny for you to respond to him you're being pretty general. And he's like, yeah, pretty general. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was entertaining, like, not being the one trying to get those questions answered yeah. and, like, seeing your disappointment and disdain at his lack of forthrightness. But, um, yeah, it would have been – that's the thing. I love talking to Rudy typically. And, yeah, you're absolutely right because normally he's, like, so kind of forthcoming about, like and, – and upfront about – giving specifics and in this case i don't know what his motivation is for not 
doing that, but yeah, he he wasn't giving anything away. And it's not that he was in a bad mood. I think he was in a good mood. I just I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what happened. Um, Rudy Gobert, he did say this. He, he said that he would be relied on more defensively than he has, ever has been because he's not going to be spl- you know splitting any time with Derek Favors this year. And, and yep. he's certainly. I also don't expect him to split any time with Ed Davis. He's going to be the guy in the middle of that. The Jazz are, again, they always funnel everything to Rudy. Or rather, he won't be sharing any time with that Davis. They will be splitting time. Oh, yeah, sorry. They yeah. will be splitting time, not sharing time. Sorry right. about that. But, yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I think the Rudy Gobert's defensive role, if you will, his defensive usage will rise this year. But, um, you know, I, I think what we should expect from Rudy is basically more of the same. I, I told uh, Bill Riley on ESPN 700 this. Like, if, if Rudy has a season like he did last year, again this year, where he plays in 81 games and he has 16 points a game and 12 and a half rebounds a game and is the league's defensive player of the year, Jazz fans have to be more than thrilled with that, even if you do want improvement from Rudy. Like, 16, 12 and a half DPOY is just really, really good. Yeah, I know, like, a lot of Jazz fans harbor this continuing dream that, like, Rudy's going to develop some back-to-the-basket game or a Nobody jump hook. Nobody uses back-to-the-basket anymore. Or, or a jump hook or, like, a running floater or something. Like, I don't know, something, something to make him, like, slightly more of a weapon from, like, other than just catching lobs and throwing them down. But honestly, yeah, like, anything you get in that regard is, as you mentioned, a cherry on top. He's so incredibly important with what he does that honestly just having him out there and able to maintain that defensive integrity is the most important facet from him. And I do think that there is a chance that he sets, you know, breaks his own dunks record this year if he stays healthy and, you know, honestly defenses will be much less likely to leave Boyan and Mike Conley than they were Ricky Rubio and Jay Crowder to chuck him off his role and, you know, if that's the case then uh, we could see more dunks. Yeah, I, I mean, I think had the Jazz brought back a roster at all similar to what they had last year, you would have seen defenses really kind of be able to hinder him far more this year than what they did a year ago. I think you would have seen a dramatic shift in how he was defended. But, yeah, just surrounding him with Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich, I think you're entirely correct that like he's he's going to feast. I mean, we asked him... One of the one of the great answers he did give us, you know, we asked him like, how long is it going to take to kind of get everyone on the same page? And he said, not long at all. Boyan threw me a lob on the first play of a of a practice session that they had, and so that was entertaining. You know, it's like I, Mike Conley. You know, we asked him the other day, and he said he's thrown more lobs over the last two days than he'd thrown the last several years of his career. So. Yeah, I think Rudy's in prime position to uh, to put up at, at the very least similar numbers to what he did a year ago. Hey, he should have thrown more to Jaron Jackson Jr. But anyway, uh, I, I, I'm with you. Like, I, I think if you're if you're looking at the and I actually kind of do see this as a bellwether for Rudy is whether or not he can reset the dunks record because I, I I think it is so important for the Jazz team to get well easy dunks. It turns out are a really good shot. Uh, but if I, I think more teams will use the Milwaukee defensive strategy this year of packing the paint and right. letting bad three-point shooters shoot um, and rotating really well on the perimeter. I do think that that packing the paint thing may mean that defenses uh, allow fewer dunks. And then I would also say that because Mike Conley is not an experienced lob thrower, Donovan Mitchell's not a great lob thrower, uh, I, I think you could see fewer dunks. That would be the reason why you might predict fewer dunks rather than more dunks, but there's reasons to predict the opposite. So 
um, that will be that's one of honestly my was one of my ten questions for this year is can Rudy re-break his own record? Because I, I, I do think it matters for the Jazz uh, and, and how efficient they are in, in scoring. Uh, let's move on to Mike Conley. Mike Conley is a person. Uh, Mike Conley is... <laughs> Very astute. No, Mike Conley is great. Uh, that, was a, that was a Rudy-type description of Mike I agree, Conley. Thanks. Mike Conley is a person. Mike Conley is... <sighs> okay, here, basically every, like, on-background conversation I've had with Jazz people over the last month is, like, holy cow, we're playing with, with an elite point guard who's really good at a lot of things. And just, like, what kind of that opens up and uh, just the belief in how good Mike Conley still is and has been for this team, I, th- I think, is the number one reason for Jazz fans to be most excited for this team. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because we heard Quinn refer to him during media day as an elite point guard. And I know that's, like, very Tony Jones-ish. Thing to say, uh, throwing out that word elite all willy-nilly, but uh-huh. um, especially, you know, given that you look at you look at his background and, you know, people will point out the lack of all-star appearances and all NBA selections and, and things of that nature, but his, I, I think it's contextual in a way, like, uh, you know, in, in a vacuum, Mike Conley, yeah, he's he is still, even at 32 years old, an incredibly talented NBA player, but to me, like, that that description is partly contextual just because his fit here is so amazing. He ticks so many of those boxes of things that they were missing from their point guard play before. You know, I mean, it's just we heard that he got sick the other day. He had an allergic reaction. Yeah, that was weird. And, and he still is like, I think every – I want to say each of the three days where we've been able to watch them shoot around after practice, he's been the last guy out there every day. Today he was by far the last guy out there still putting up shots, and just his shooting stroke is a thing to behold. I mean, it is. just you know, obviously you know, practice is one thing and games are another, but you skill you a still thing can to get, behold. It's a thing to behold. He wow. just the ease with which he makes shots, <laughs> the ease with which he gets the ball up there. Uh, you know, and and again, it's all relative to certain guys who may have preceded him, but um, I think you can extrapolate just from those you know just from watching the way he shoots in practice he's going to be so effective in this offensive scheme a thing to behold look are you saying i'm going overboard yeah a little bit saying i'm being hyperbolic mike conley's a good shooter he is a great Uh, shooter you went from good to great just now yeah yeah he's a a very good i think you're i I don't think he's a great shooter okay i don't think he's a top eight point guard shooter all right um, he's I a good shooter. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, good, good shooter. We'll see. A thing to behold, just a like thing. a thing to behold to me is like Ray Allen. I guess I'm approaching Steph Curry. Okay, fine. So I was being slightly hyperbolic. I was approaching it from the perspective of having watched this team get open shot after open shot it's, against the Rockets and just bricking it. I'm being pedantic, one. and part of that's just my personality, but like. I, I also thought it was funny, like, every and everyone did the story. I'm not blaming you. But everyone, uh, like, Quinn's big quote yesterday was, I trusted Mike Conley, and it's unusual that I trust someone so quickly. But, yeah. like, look, you've had Mike Conley since June 24th or whatever that was, whenever you traded for him on, uh, two days before the draft. And uh, he's been in OTAs for weeks now. And it's Mike Conley. Like, of course you trust him. Like, he's a 12-year NBA veteran that everyone has universally loved and was literally teammate of the year. Like, if you're not trusting Mike Conley, there's no one you're trusting. Mike All Conley right. is I the mean, most trustworthy person on the entire planet. 
All right, Mr. All right, that's Mr. <laughs> Mr. Pedantic. I'll throw I'll again. throw in the qualifier here that like I think he's simply saying that from the perspective of yes, even given all of those things, Mike Conley's been around the league for twelve years and he's been very good for the entirety of that. You still never know entirely what you're going to get integrating a guy into a team when he's been somewhere else for the entirety of his career. And so I think all he was saying is it's been as seamless as anyone could reasonably expect. Fair enough. Donovan Mitchell. He's a guy. He's, He's a person. A person. Uh, <laughs> again, to me, the question is like, all right, you've got this team and you've got Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles and all these talented offensive pieces around Donovan Mitchell for the first time. Can he adapt his game to be more efficient himself and get more efficient possessions for everybody else. Um, and, and so talking to him a little bit about that at practice today, that you know, he, he really cited his decision-making as something that needs to improve and that he needs to slow down and realize, hey, this is who's going to be open at what times and when rather than trying to force a move on a situation, rather, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I thought Mike Prada's story for SB Nation yesterday was brilliant. If you haven't checked that out, do so. Uh, in comparing, kind of looking at how Donovan Mitchell wastes some of his talent in the mid-range uh, and in the short mid-range by you know putting up all these shots that are uh, that he's really good at making and yet are really bad shots. Yeah. And how he can become more like MVP level Derrick Rose in terms of getting all the way to the rim and finishing, or making the right uh, making a different decision and passing out. Yeah. The fascinating thing here is that it's it's really kind of twofold. One is that. Like on some level, it really simply comes down to he does need to change his mentality. It's purely a mentality thing. Um, the caveat to that, the second thing is, you know, how much of this was born out of bad habits that, that came as a result yeah. of necessity? Because yeah, he he had to do he had to take a lot of these shots, and yeah, he'll he'll concede now. A lot of them were bad shots, but who else on this team was gonna? do that was going to do anything he felt thrown he felt thrust into a role where he had to for lack of a better word rescue the offense yeah and now being surrounded by a Conley and a Boyan and a Joe Ingle you know not that Joe is new but having Joe is having more having more capable offensive players yes kind of it, it becomes a domino effect and so um you mentioned uh Donovan needing to slow down uh, th- one of the quotes he made on media day that caught my attention, um, he was he was making a joke about Mike Conley being slow and spending too many years in Memphis and how it like you know being down south like really slowed him down and how Donovan as being, a person yeah and how Donovan being a New Yorker you know is constantly just going a million miles an hour and he said that being you know just these few weeks of being around Mike Conley really that really kind of clicked for him that hey. It's not necessarily a bad thing to slow down as a person. And, you know, he wasn't necessarily using that exclusively as a basketball metaphor, yeah. but he, he did mention how applicable that could be. Like, you know, if I can slow down as a person, maybe that translates into slowing down on the court. And then that in turn generates some of this better decision making that we're talking about. It's also just the difference between being like 22, 23, and 32. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you and I can relate to this as well. <laughs> yeah, so being awful. not 32. Difference being between 32. Yeah. 28 and 18, I guess. Yeah, um, I know. I'm the wily veteran. You are. 
yeah, but uh, again, I, I Donovan's going to be fine. It's just like kind of what level of fine he is, right? Like he, w- I, I, I'm very confident Donovan will be a top twenty-five player his entire career. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just whether or not he can become a top ten, top at fifteen. The, at the worst, right? He's going to be what he was a year ago. Yeah. At the, as a worst case scenario, the question is, can he take that next step in terms of improved efficiency, in terms of improved decision making? Because it's not a matter of selfishness, like. You brought up to Quinn, you know, the idea of now all of a sudden you've got uh, three guys on this team who've had experience being the, the primary guy, offensive yeah. option. And I don't think that's going to be an issue with Donovan in terms of, like, seeding some of that for opportunities for Mike or Boyan. The question will be, like, how then does he rein himself in to make the most out of his the opportunities he's going to have? It was funny. After that conversation, uh, I ran into Quinn and Donovan in the hall in, in Vivint, and he was like, he, Quinn kind of raised a good point to me at, at that point where he was like, you know, yes, Bogey and Conley have been number one options and were for the end of last year, but Mike Conley's been like a number three guy in Memphis, right? And, yep. and ditto with Bojan Bogdanovic. These guys... Have been in yeah, both he roles. Yeah, he so, was down the ladder in Brooklyn. Right. Like, he he was not at all worried about that part of right. those guys fitting in. And then I was like, well, this guy has is, is kind of always been a number one. He's like, yeah, that, that's true. And I think uh, – and so it was kind of interesting to to hear how, I guess, Donovan I – th- I think Donovan wants to be still the number one option, but I think he, w- he wants to win more. And I think – so uh, it's going to be really I think interesting both to of those, see how that And I think both of those things will be the case. The, thing, the interesting example that we've heard brought up is can a team with a bunch of, like, A-minus, B-plus players beat a team with a, a few A-plus? A+ players, and, yeah. and so the natural extrapolation of that is – what can Donovan do? What steps if can he Donovan take? If Donovan is an A or himself, an A-plus player. Yeah, yeah. Turn, turn into an A or an A-plus player. Or is he just forever going to be, you know, and when I say forever, I mean, obviously, I recognize this is his third season. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not being hyperbolic there. But, you know, to what degree is he capable of taking that next step? And right. this will be a good crucible for discovering that. Uh, crucibles, yes. Um, he's also, like, Donovan is just the best kid. Like, getting, I got to talk to him uh, pretty extensively in Australia, and it was, it, it's great. He's a good, he's, he's the best. Um, let's skip Tony Bradley. I have no Tony Bradley news. Uh, Royce O'Neal. Um <laughs> Royce O'Neal uh, is maybe the guy who we've heard most consistently has stood out in OTAs. Yep. Um, he's also the kind of player that stood, stands out in, in OTAs in training camp. Like, it's it's funny. You like you hear about Avery Bradley doing really well in in their training camp, right? Right. Uh, and, and so, uh, because Avery Bradley is the kind of guy that just gets after it and plays defense and and scares people. Bull, kind bulldog of, mentality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Royce O'Neal is the same way. And like, so. I'm not surprised that Royce is looking good in in these kind of settings, but you know it is definitely a good thing that people are speaking highly of him at this point, uh, rather than not. Yeah, it would be. It's it's certainly better than uh, nothing really to say about Royce. Royce sucks. You. No, yeah, exactly. Uh, do you think there's a lot of speculation going around that he's that he's the uh, opening night starter at the four? What I love that. that. I love that. I I I don't know if it's real or not because uh, you know. Uh, to be honest, I don't think they've decided that he definitely is. Uh, I thought it was very yeah, Quinn, revealing. Quinn, Quinn was very vehement today in talking about there is competition going yeah, on. Yeah, and, and, and there should be. Yeah. Um, I, I think that his comment 
was about him being able to switch on bigger men and being a, a strong defender, uh, I think was revealing in, in terms of Quinn's thought on whether or not he can play the four. Um, I think it makes all the sense of the world. Like, I, I think you're, there are just, there are probably two power forwards left in the NBA that might be able to take advantage of Royce's size, and maybe you have to do something differently on, on those games, but... For 28 other teams, I guess 27 other teams, you can't play yourself. Uh, you're yeah. you're just great with Royce at the four. Like you have your best defender out there in, in the starting unit defending the other team's best As, players. Aside from that Gobert guy. Yeah, your best perimeter defender. I should okay. say that. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> great, great point. Um, you have your best. You have a very low usage guy, probably your lowest usage guy out of your rotation players. Um, next to Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, and Bojan Bogdanovic, who are going to use a lot of possessions. Uh, and you let Joe Ingles run second unit pick and roll and just wily, stupid bench players to death, which is which is awesome. Um, and, and maybe his most effective role, um, as we've seen in the World Cup. So... I, I, I like that for a lot of different reasons. I'm still on the fence about it a little bit. Like I, I can't take issue with Wait. anything you just said. Um, to me, honestly, like the, the, the only hesitation, the only reservation I have about it is just seeing the way he stood out in that Houston series in being such an effective perimeter defender against the likes of James Harden. Yeah. That I wonder if like having him at the four, like No, that's you don't have wait. him guard force. Well, you okay, start so him. Who's, so who's guarding the Ford? Joe Ingles. I mean, look. It, so it depends who you're matching up against, right? So if you're I'm, matching I'm, up I'm against, I'm the talking Houston about Rockets, at the start of at the start of games. Like, obviously, oh, okay, he's not okay. going to. So Boyan Bogdanovich. Okay. You have Boyan guard force. All right. Boyan literally guarded LeBron James in a, in a playoff series two years ago. Yeah. There we go. So I, I think yeah. So it depends who you're playing, right? Like if you're playing the the Clippers, then you have Boyan and uh, you probably have Boyan and Royce guard Kawhi and Paul George. If you're playing, oh, I don't know, uh, yeah, the, the Rockets, then you have Royce guard James Harden, and you have Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell guard Rudy, uh, Russell Westbrook. You know, like, yep. just depends where you have talent. I guess I do also wonder a little bit about um, the rebounding capabilities of that yeah, starting Yeah, no, that's, that's a real concern. Um, not that Jeff Green but has been, like, a, a stellar rebounder throughout his career, but he is... 6'9", 6'10", and like he's going to have a few fall in his hands by accident. But, but if I remember right, I think Royce had a better rebounding percentage than Jeff Green did last year. Yeah, uh, Royce much. was 9.2 rebounding percentage. Let's quickly look up Jeff Green. Jeff Green was, drumroll please, and he, remember he even spent time at center. Uh, he was 8.0. Royce is a better rebounder than Jeff Green. Cash money argument. Well, I've got nothing to say. Then. Yeah. yeah. No. I mean, if, if you're worried about rebounding, I think Royce is maybe your most effective option. Yeah. Right. Uh, other than, like, playing at Davis next to Rudy Gobert, which I just don't think is going to happen. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do that. Um, that, was, that was good Royce talk. I'm glad we, glad we did Royce talk. Uh, <laughs> Always enjoyable to do some Royce talk. Love Royce talk. Uh, I'm stalling to see who's next on the list. Joe Ingles. Joe uh, had an incredibly effective FIBA World Cup. Uh where he literally had multiple near triple doubles. He could have been the first player in FIBA World Cup history, actually, to have a triple double, but fell one rebound or assist short. I can't remember which. Yeah. Uh, he's so good as a playmaker. Like he's he's so good with the ball in his hands. And, and I I know that that's the World Cup, and people are kind of like iffy on international competition translating. But 
I just I if I'm looking at the second unit and who I want to have in the ball, who whose hands do I want the ball in most? It goes in the order of Mike Conley number one, probably Donovan Mitchell number two, and then Joe Ingles number three. Like I I love the ball in Joe Ingles' hands because he just makes such effective decisions all the time. Yeah, that's the thing. For all the people who've inquired about, you know, who's going to be the second unit point guard, you know, are they are they truly moving away from Dante? What role is Emmanuel Moutier going to have? Like, honestly, the the real answer is, uh, you know, Joe Ingles for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Like, you know, obviously they want, they probably aren't going to designate him as like a point guard, but. We saw him, you know, doing a lot of this uh, on the second unit with Derek Favors last year, you know, with the pick-and-roll symmetry that they had together. Joe is just incredible at setting people up, which, yeah, we saw in these uh, FIBA games that he played with Australia. His court vision is amazing. Um, Again, maybe I'm getting too hyperbolic. No, it it is. I I think the numbers bore it out, you know. We saw, and again, with that Australian team, he wasn't quote-unquote the point guard, they were throwing Patty Mills and Matthew Delavadova out there, but and Joe was starting at the three or the four. But yeah, seven and a half assists a game, uh, and and consistently just generating open looks for the guys down low. I so, think it was. Um, I think he had seven point two assists per game after the All Star break last year, which led the Jazz. Like, I'm interested to see how many minutes he plays because I mean, with the addition of Bogey, like that theoretically. You know, there's theoretically some overlap yeah. there, and I think you can get away. But at the same time, you know, people discussed was Joe like just absolutely worn out by season's end. Yeah. He didn't I have was. a great series against the Rockets. He did not. And I think this is a way to kind of uh, maximize his effectiveness. Yeah, I don't think he'll play 82 games again this season, um, and I, I think he will play fewer minutes, and I think that's fine. Um, but I, you know, I was thinking like two weeks ago, I wanted to write even before we've heard some of these quotes. I wanted to write a Joe Ingles as a point guard and Dante Exum as a wing, or you know, Dante Exum might even be a four kind of story. Like, you just you just look at what those guys are good at and where their shots come from, and instead of looking at their heights, it's you look at their skill sets. And you know, I think I think it's Joe Ingles as much as shooting right now, and and he's still a terrific shooter. He's just really good making decisions with the ball in his hands. Joe Ingles is so good. I had. A, People don't understand, like, I had multiple conversations in Australia with randoms on, like, them not understanding that Joe Ingles was worth $50 million. And I'm like, guys, Joe Ingles is phenomenal. Like, he is underpaid at $13 million a year for four years. Like, he is... You know, it's funny. I've got someone in my life who I have this argument with pretty frequently who just... They're one of these people who doesn't get the impact. They're like... You know, he's old, he's slow, he doesn't, you know, yeah. he, he's never scored 30 points in a game. No. You know, he's just, they don't, they look at the the deficiencies, which, you know, he admittedly has, like, he has certain limitations, but the things that he brings to the table are just so effective with the, within this scheme that, yeah, I absolutely agree that, like, the, the contract they got him at was has turned out to be an incredible bargain. The thing is, like, he has physical limitations, but he doesn't have, like, any, like, real on-court limitations other than maybe he's not a great rebounder. Uh, but, like, defensively, he's solid. Uh, passing, he's solid. Decision-making, he's solid. He's a terrific shooter. Um, he can defend big and small guys. Uh, honestly, maybe small guys, but better than big guys. He kind of struggles inside sometimes, but yeah. Like, and Conley, he's, he's just Mike really Conley good. did mention, you know, he, he brought up the fact that 
Joe Ingles has guarded him throughout his career when he was on the Grizzlies. So that certainly is, and it's counterintuitive because you know we've seen these previous playoff series where they went got they went up against the Rockets and he's guarding Chris Paul and you see Chris Paul dropping in thirty points every night or something and you like by the numbers alone you'd get the impression that Joe's a bad defender but he's effective at doing yeah, what good. they need him to do in that in that scheme. And uh, he's yeah, even I good one on one. Like he guards again. I, maybe I'm just reading too much into guys guarding LeBron James and having some success. But in regular season matchups, Joe Ingles has done a pretty good job on LeBron James. Yeah. So I think we agree. We expect to see Joe's Joe playing good. a little bit less. Maybe he's coming off the bench. That'll be. In, what do you What do you think his mentality is about he's fine that? With it. Totally fine. Yep. Think so. Yep. No issues. Nope. No ego. Yep. Hmm. No, I, I, uh, no because snarky Australians. I don't know. No, I mean, look, we talked to him last year, and he said, I even went to Quinn Snyder and said, hey, I'll play off the bench if you need me to. Yeah. And he didn't. Uh, but that he went to Quinn and said, hey, I'm okay with this. Thought of it as an idea. <laughs> like, if it's Joe's idea and you do it, like, I, I, I don't think there's any problems at all. All right. Uh, Dante Exum. Dante Exum, I do not expect to play on Saturday. We will see. Uh, he's been very off by himself doing balance kind of shooting drills yeah. in the first three days of training camp. Um, and that usually indicates that he's not partic- fully participating in practice. There are times when he's on the court and running through, I think, five-on-O kind of situations. And, and from what Dennis Lindsay told us, his movement is very good. Uh, but he hasn't passed the balance kind of check marks that the Jazz use in order to fully uh, return a player from an injury. Uh, you may remember Alec Burks two seasons ago uh, was coming off, I, I think it was knee surgery, maybe it was ankle surgery, I can't remember which, but uh, he was moving well, but the balance and kind of whether or not he would re-injure himself questions uh, had not yet been solved. And so he ended up not playing until November or December. I, I, I think... You know, Dante could pass those checkmarks, those checkmarks, those uh, benchmarks, if you will, this week. I think that's unlikely, <laughs> and it just kind of depends on when when he does pass those. Yeah, I mean, another thing that Dennis said about Dante was they were going to be conservative with him. Yeah. and I mean, given Dante's extensive at this point injury history, that's absolutely the right way to go. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Dante's role is this year. We talked to him yesterday, and we we asked him, you know, where he'd been kind of working out with the team. And his first comment was, everyone is playing everywhere. And then his second comment specifically was that he had uh, been participating in practice. He'd played some one, two, three. He'd even played some four, which a few years ago, if we'd have heard that you know, Dante Exum was playing the four. It would have been the most ridiculous sounding thing I'd ever heard. And I think Dante and would have been offended by that. You know, I, I think Dante really thought of himself as a point guard, and it's taken some real kind of soul searching and honestly some reality coming at him that he's he may not be a point guard. Yeah, and honestly, like we've seen from him when he plays, uh, you someone brought up it was maybe Tony Jones today in the media scrum. Uh, you know, those those the production that Dante had during the months of December and January last year when arguably he had never played better in his professional career. And, you know, so you've got that in your back pocket, but it doesn't do you any good if Dante is hurt. 
uh, which one explains why they're going to be they're going to be conservative with him because they still I get the impression they still do like Dante they're still big fans of his but two yeah they are starting to move on from the prospect of Dante as purely backup point guard and you know in this era of positionless basketball working on new ways to deploy him and best take advantage of those skills that we saw during those two months. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of see him as a wing player. My comp on him as, as a wing is Corey Brewer. Um, in terms of Dante's speed, getting him up and down, his hustle can uh, get him in good spots in transition and he's able to finish. And then his length makes him an effective defender. Uh, to me, to me, Dante as Corey Brewer makes some sense. And, and we're talking peak Corey Brewer, not like... Yeah. No, I actually a gazillion times. I actually love that comparison, and you know, jazz fans are going to hear that and freak out because they're still hanging on to the notion of number five overall pick, yeah, Dante Exum, and thinking, well, there's no way in the world that Corey Brewer is worth that. But I think people need to adjust their expectations at this point. And if you get that role out of Dante, you know, that's that's a valuable piece in this in this scheme. Yeah, if you if you can get a running defensive wing player, yeah, I, I think that that's nice. Um, but he's he's just not a good shooter. Yeah, uh, I mean the, sh- the ship has I, sailed ever... on on Dante as a lottery talent. Like, in from my perspective, you know, it's like he just was never that guy. He's never he's never going to be a good enough shooter to be that guy. Um, the fact that they are moving on from him as a point guard means that he's not that guy. So rather than, like, let it be a sunk cost, like, yeah, adjust the expectations, adjust the role, and, yeah, send him up and down the floor, turn him into a defensive pest, get him out in transition to push the pace, you know, get him out running guys and see if he can get some easy buckets if, you know, maybe he can, like, turn into a more efficient finisher at the rim than he's been in the past. But... He this evolution is necessary for Dante to you know carve out a role with his team. Yeah, he was he was not great at the rim last year. Fifty five percent from within three feet, only twenty nine percent from three to ten feet. He just doesn't have that in his game, um, unless you know it's a transition play, which is which is ideal. But yeah, I think I I think the kind of last gasp of him being a your lead point guard was. Uh, at the end of last year when he came back shortly from the injury and just made so many really bad mistakes it was pretty clear that like okay this isn't natural for this guy um at at this level which then you know you need to adapt and that's what dante exum is doing uh george niang do we have any george niang thoughts we haven't talked to him uh, other than at media day but uh i don't think he plays much uh with a healthy roster probably not uh mieoni donovan mitchell said he looked more athletic than he expected today that's all i've got on mieoni yeah Someone said something else about him the other day, and I can't remember what now, so uh, we'll just leave it at that. Okay. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich. Boyan. I'm intrigued to talk to Boyan. Uh, we haven't got a ton of him yet. We've got... Yeah, we talked to him at Media Day, and, you know, it's he's English is a second language, so he's, you know... Yeah. It's, um, and we got him in Vegas when he was introduced right. during Summer League. Um, but, yeah, that's He was better in it. one-on-one. Um, I, yeah, I, I think... First of all, the thing we've heard about Boyan Bogdanovich so far is just like people are just blown away at how good he is as a shooter. Like Donovan said today that like he was joking with him, like you make literally 100% of your threes. Uh, <laughs> and of course, that's, that's not the case. And I'll, making 100% I'll, of your I'll threes ask in practice. The math major, that's pretty good, right? That is good. Um, but I, I, I think that 
you know, among the Jazz who actually do have good shooters now, not a sight to behold shooters, but, you know, pretty good shooters. Uh, is, is that Boyan, Boyan Bogdanovich. Is Boyan a sight to behold shooter? No, I mean, maybe it sounds like he is. If he shoots if 100%. There's, if there's one guy in the Jazz roster right now who is, it sounds like it's Bogdanovich, not Conley, right? Um, and so that he he could be the best shooter on a, on a roster that features Joe Ingles, uh, and I think that's that's notable. Um, so that's got to be exciting for Jazz fans. And then, of course, Quinn said that uh, they've been having him run pick and roll and stuff too, which I think opens things up for the Jazz. Um, but, yeah, it's funny because I, I think with Bogey, we know what he is. Like, that's the thing is, like, with Mike Conley, like, there's these, uh, you know, can he fit in with a new team? What does a backcourt, uh, a talented backcourt with him look like? With Bogey, I, I have pretty much no questions on how he's going to fit in on this roster. He's going to make a ton of shots. Uh, he's going to run pick and roll sometimes, but mostly as like a secondary option after stuff fails and or, or as as part of a, a play. You know, like I don't expect him to bring up the ball a ton, and um, he's he's just going to be really really good in his role. Yeah, the only thing I would say is like don't. You know, for as much as we talk about his shooting, like, don't necessarily look at him as a J.J. Redick. Like, no, he, he's not going to be limited to simply, like, he is actually coming off, off of like, pinups, though. Yeah, he is. He is. I'm just saying, like, he's down. he's capable of, of more than that. He is able to put the ball on the floor a little bit. He is able to generate some looks to some degree. Yeah. You know, he's not Joe Ingles at it no, by any not. means. But um, I think Jazz fans are going to be pleasantly surprised by what he's capable of. He's he's much better at, yeah, he's he's better at running off of screens and getting open shots than Joe. Uh he's not like JJ Redick, he's not Kyle Corver, but like that is a good threat and he is brilliant at then using that threat and then cutting baseline or cutting backdoor to get open layups for himself or others. Like he's he's just a very, very smart offensive player. Uh and very skilled too. Yeah, I mean for all the people who have spent the summer kind of uh, bemoaning the fact that Derek Favors is gone, and I get it. You know, I understand that. I think once we see how this offense looks with Bogey out there, you know, I think people are going to understand why they made the decision to to let Derek go. I think so. I all right. So there's like there's the the advanced stat community um, thinks Derek Favors is a better player was a better player last year than Bojan Bogdanovic. Um, I would actually even probably agree with that. I would say that fit <laughs> makes Poyan a better p- person on this right. team, right? Yes, like it's all like contextual it's just, again, as we mentioned. If earlier. Derek Favors was a, a three combo four, then yeah, keep Derek Favors, obviously, duh. But that's always, you know, kind of been the problem. Yeah, um, yeah. As as Dennis mentioned, there was some redundancy between yeah. Favors and Gobert, and for that reason, and for what we saw in the Houston series. Bogey's fit is is it works better for where for what this team needs at this point. Yeah, uh, I don't think we have anything to say on Jarrell Brantley or Justin Wright Foreman uh, or Nigel Williams Goss, right? I mean, yeah, those guys the, are there. The, the former two will be two way guys who spend far more time playing for the Stars than they yes. do for the Jazz. Yeah, and I expect them to be two way guys all year long, so they won't use them, um, you know, use their forty five days unless like catastrophic injuries happen. Uh, Nigel is your third or fourth point guard. Yeah, um, he's, he's this year's Howell Neto. Except probably lower. Probably even, probably not even playing that much, I would yeah. I would guess. Agreed. Um, Emmanuel Moutier. Uh, unless Emmanuel Moutier is terrible, which is possible. But uh, yeah. Moutier has said all the right things so far. I, I think his comparison as, you know, he originally went 
wanted to go to SMU and and declared to go to and coached by Larry Brown, SMU is, um, and then eventually went to China to make money for his family rather than not because uh, college basketball you have to play for free. Um, and and allegedly, well, yeah, okay, yeah. you're not you're not making the money he made in China. Right. We'll put it down. Yeah, exactly. So even even if you do get your your under the table payments, which I think is happens with most elite prospects at this point. Um, it's not, it's not very much. We're talking five yeah, figures. He, he made a million dollars playing in China. Right. So we're talking, yeah, exactly. So it's it's five figures to stay here and get your uh, booster payments or a million dollars to go overseas. And I don't know. Take the million. It's fine. So anyway. Anyway. Uh, Larry Brown. So I, I thought it was interesting to hear Moutier compare Quinn Snyder to Larry Brown so much. Um and, you know, Larry Brown and Quinn know each other and are, are relatively close, I believe. So that's that's interesting to hear. Um, I thought it was interesting that when asked about Moutier's defense, Quinn went to his strength as a uh, post-defender. Yeah, he did yeah. say literally his strength is a strength, which he didn't even laugh at himself. He didn't even roll his eyes at his own bad pun. Uh, I was disappointed in Quinn there, but regardless. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, maybe, it's, maybe he was in a Rudy Gobert speaking to the media kind of mood. But it does seem like um, no. See, that's the thing. Rudy is usually good. I, it's just he wasn't that one day. I know. Anyway, I know. I just wanted to clarify that. Um, I, I expect with Moutier on the court, the Jazz are going to do much more switching than when he's not. Yeah, you know, it it has been interesting to me to listen to Emmanuel speak about. Uh, coming here you know he mentioned that yeah Larry Brown was a big factor in that he mentioned that Mike Conley was a factor in that you know that Mike reached out to him and said look forget about the starting job forget about you know this like put your focus on putting yourself into a situation where you can learn where you can be taught the game better than you have been and then those other things will take care of themselves and that was part of the appeal for him in coming here. And then you listen to him talk about, um, you know, learning things from Quinn. Like, I get the impression that, like, he simply has had difficulty before understanding the concepts that coaches teach. And he, he mentioned that Quinn is, like, a very kind of demonstrative, hands-on guy. Like, he yeah. mentioned one of the difficulties he's had over the first few days is, is getting the terminology down. But what has saved him, he said, is that Quinn comes right out and then shows him yeah when I when I tell you to box out I need you to position your left leg in this manner and you know and then he says the light goes on for him like he said like you know it it was just fascinating to watch him talk about that and say you know that for all these things that he didn't think he could get or understand you know and he's been a bad defensive player over the first four years of his career which you wouldn't think because he's six five and two hundred pounds, and as you mentioned, very solidly built and very physically strong. He should theoretically have the capability of being a good defensive player, and we'll see if this coaching staff is capable of turning him into one. And it yeah. sounds like, you know, obviously we're, he, he he went through OTAs and uh, you know three days of training camp, and who knows what's going to happen at this point. But it sounds like the capacity is there for it to happen at least. And I mean. If this Utah Jazz staff that has made its bones on its defensive prowess can't turn Emmanuel Moutier into at least a solid, you know, non-civ defender, then 
I think you probably have to say it just isn't going to happen. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, it, it does remind me a little bit of Jimmer with the Spurs, where everyone was like, okay, if Jimmer, you can't succeed with the Spurs, you can't succeed anywhere. Yeah. And admittedly, the Phoenix Suns gave him a chance, but like, we're talking about the Suns here. Like, yep. they, you know, is that really an NBA team? <laughs> um, but it, anyway, like, I, I just think, uh, yeah, you're, it's, this is, this is Moutier's shot, right? Like, this yep. is, you are on a one year minimum contract because you have, been yeah. a huge and, disappointment. And he's a guy who you and I have like not argued about who but who we like kind of look at from different perspectives and um you know for I I recognize from a numbers perspective he's been very underwhelming trash. Um and then I I tend to come out from the other perspective and yeah, we'll see we'll see how it goes. I think it's a fascinating gamble and certainly a worthwhile one for a minimum contract to get a guy who's a former lottery pick and has that body and has shown some scoring capability, you know, improved in the mid-range last year. Yes. Still not good from three-point range. Yes. Still iffy as a really bad in terms of court vision. Worse than Ricky Rubio um, as, a, as a layup and and sure. admittedly awful as a defender. But the physical tools are there, and he is tall. there seems to be some you know mental uh, recognition of what he needs to do going on. So we'll see. He'll he'll be like one of the most interesting storylines of the season to me, you know. And and from a subplot perspective, yeah, like yeah. I don't think the Jazz season lives or dies based on what. If Moutier is good, does. it really, really, really helps him. But yes, if he's that's, not, that's, then that's like the point I'm getting. Then the second unit gets really iffy. Yeah. Um, unless you like, you just you basically at that point you just again have Joe Ingles definitely just only be the point guard, which is weird. But like I think that's what you'd have to do. Or Nigel Williams Goss could be amazing and will. Yeah, skeptical on that. Yeah, bit. I'm dubious. Of I'm, that. I'm honestly skeptical on both, and that's why I think the Joe Ingles as point card solution is as appealing as it is. And I, I, I do think that's it, it's interesting that Quinn Snyder is talking about that too. Uh, we, we're long on this podcast, but whatever. We've still got uh, two players left to talk about. Let's yeah, let's do it. We haven't we haven't podcasted in a while. We've that's been, true. We've been traveling the world. We haven't been together for a minute. Jeff Green, let's run along. Jeff Green, I'm intrigued to see him as well. Um, I've really liked both of our media uh, times with Jeff Green. He's yeah. very honest. Yeah, he is for sure. He, he, he's not shy of telling you how he thinks it is. Um, uh, like that, I remember the, the most interesting thing, and, and this was still like his, his intro press conference when I asked him about the Dwayne Wade tweet about him being on three minimum con- contracts in a row. Yeah. That was, that was still fascinating, and I think a lot of other players would not have answered it in that way. Um, yeah, a lot of other guys would have definitely given a more diplomatic response than <laughs> I was talking to Tony, too, and he, he was basically like, I get why every team falls in love with Jeff Green, because he is tall, and he looks like he, he's big. He looks like an NBA player. And so you're like, oh, this is – we will be able to turn him into something. And so we'll, we'll see if the Jazz are able to turn him into something. Yeah. I mean, it, it has been interesting. Uh, someone asked the other day about the possibility of – someone asked Quinn, do you foresee a scenario where – you could have five shooters on the court, uh-huh. with the implication being Jeff Green sometimes playing five. Because he did last year a lineups. little bit with the Wizards. Yeah, he's he's done it like very very sporadically. Um, Regular. And then and then speaking to Dante the other day when he mentioned everyone's playing everywhere, he brought up that Quinn had deployed Jeff Green as a one a tiny bit. So I mean, yeah, he is unique in that he's a guy who can literally play one through five, like not saying he can play all of them well by any means. But, um, I mean, if 
if you get like a slightly more efficient version of Jay Crowder out of him, I think you have to be happy. Um, Someone asked me the other day, so do you just like totally give up on any kind of front court scoring with the second unit now that Favors is gone? And I said, well, we're going to have to see what, how they deploy Jeff Green because he's really the guy who can score a little bit, yeah. who can make that happen, yeah, yeah. Who, who's capable of getting some buckets from there. Because Ed Davis, he's going to give he's you not, probably yeah. like six it's points back. a game, right? It's put, bas- put, put back baskets, but yeah, yeah. He's, not, he's not really a, a finisher. Whereas Jeff Green, like, granted he's not the most efficient scorer out there, but he's, he's been pretty consistently yeah. a 10 to 14 point per game guy throughout his career. Yeah, he can do it. Even in these last few seasons. I... I also think that you're going to see a lot of staggering. So uh, you might see Bogey play with the second unit, and there's your front court scoring. Yeah, but anyway. it's a fair point. Um, I, I am. I do think you know. I, I mentioned that there are two power forwards in the league who I think Royce might have trouble stopping, and I think Jeff Green might be the guy against those uh, two guys. Yeah, I would certainly probably feel a little more comfortable with him trying to body up Blake Griffin than with Royce trying to do it, probably. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Ed Davis. Uh, I'm Ed Davis is fascinating to me because uh, I, I'm so I, I'm really curious about just how 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 he was able to be as good of a rebounder as he is. I mean, he's listed at six ten, and he probably is that, but he's only two hundred twenty five pounds, whereas every other good rebounder is like two hundred seventy pounds. Yeah. Uh, you know, you think DeAndre Jordan, uh, Andre Drummond, uh, Hassan Whiteside, all these guys are like seven foot. Huge guys, right? Uh, Steven Adams, great rebounder, huge. Yep. You know, like, Ed Davis is skinny. He's very skinny. That that surprised me a little. I didn't think Ed Davis was that skinny, and Ed Davis is skinny. Like, he's muscular. He's, you know, he's, he's. I guess we would call it wiry would be the term. But, like, Jeff Green weighs more than Ed Davis does. Yeah. Uh, Joe Ingles is listed at 226. Ed Davis is 225. Royce O'Neal is 226. Ed Davis is 225. Ed Davis is skinny. He is skinny. But yeah, as you mentioned, like and he's, is, he's is found a, top a way 10 to rebounder. be incredibly effective. Probably player. top five. Yeah, he only pl- he played less than eighteen minutes a game last year, and his per thirty six numbers he would have averaged like seventeen rebounds yeah. a game in that over that time. He's, um, he's ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah, how he how he did that is is going to be a future story of mine because it, it is it is fascinating. Uh, but he's just really good, and I think the Jazz have been very excited. First of all, I, they're excited because he's a very good defender, and they've seen that so far in OTAs and training camp. Uh, he's also being very vocal on defense, which Rudy is on and off. Um, yep. And he's actually saying the wrong things right now because he doesn't understand the jazz language yet. If yeah, you know. like, that was that was a funny saying, thing that Quinn brought up. That like he's he was being very vocal. The problem was he was like saying the incorrect things. Yeah. But like I told him, I brought him to the side. You know, I told him, hey, we need to be talking about this and this and this. And he said that ten minutes later, you know, everything was golden. Um, I've loved talking to Ed Davis. Like you, you yeah. mentioned the forthrightness of of Jeff Green. I've loved talking to Ed Davis just because he gives very thoughtful responses. He he gives very considered, but also telling responses. I mean, I think he's the other thing that I like that I liked about him when the Jazz uh, traded Derek, when the Jazz traded Jay Crowder. I think a lot of fans worried that there were there there went their two guys who played with like a little bit of an edge. I mean, how many times did we joke last year about? 
Jay kind of insinuating himself in situations to defend a teammate whenever things got a little bit chippy with the opponent. And in talking to Ed Davis the other day, he said, I'm not the most, I recognize I'm not the most skilled guy in the league, but I feel like I bring, but I feel like I'm one of the toughest in the league. And that isn't necessarily a, a, a one-to-one correspondence to, uh, you know, chippiness or, or tough, you know, but I feel like he, he maybe brings a little bit of that edge that the Jazz are missing from Jay Crowder. And, Perhaps. Um, we shall see. You know, he's not he's not a direct replacement for Derek Favors because obviously he doesn't have the scoring ability. I would argue uh, he's probably an equal de- paint defender yeah. and a superior rebounder. Yes. Um, and Andy is falling asleep. No, you just talked a long time. Oh, my um, God. I talk a long time, too, so it's okay. I know, me doing it for once and you start laying down on the table. I know, right? That, um, was, that was excessive. <laughs> it was. Dick with there, Blarson. That's fair. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I agree with you on all of your Ed Davis takes delivered slowly and monotonely. <laughs> I don't think you get to uh, talk I'm about very my expressive. hyperbole anymore. I'm You're very on one today. No, I'm, you need I'm a the nap. same. I'm the same, as always. You're being very curmudgeonly. Uh... And you usually are like Joe Ingles levels of curmudgeon anyway, so <laughs> fair. Check yourself. People like Joe Ingles. Um, <laughs> people don't like me, so it's a different story. But fifteenth um, man on the roster, uh, Stanton Kid versus William Howard is really probably what it comes down to. Um, it's kind of an interesting thing where so Stanton Kid has a two hundred fifty thousand dollar guarantee, uh, and William Howard has a fifty thousand dollar guarantee, but a two hundred fifty thousand one if he makes it out of training camp. Um, they use they spent a lot of money on William Howard's buyout, though, so it's kind of like they've already spent a lot of money and he may be a, a sunk cost option. I really do just think whoever wins this battle in training camp probably gets the 15 spot. The Jazz will definitely go into the season with 15 players. There's no reason to hold back and only have 14. Um, but just know that if the Jazz do wave Stanton Kidd, uh, they won't be able to send him down to the Stars. Uh, or the the Jazz will not have his Salt Lake City Stars rights. Um, they will just have... He he would be basically a, a G League free agent and could sign anywhere. That could be the Jazz, but uh, there would be no rights there, I guess. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't... I look at those two, and I don't think the money's going to play into it at all. Okay. I think. I mean, and maybe that's naive of me, but honestly, like, at the 15th spot, I think they're just going to look at what do each of those guys bring us? I mean, yeah, I mean, William Howard is a shooter. Stanton Kidd is a great defender who can't shoot at all, um, which isn't to say he can't, but from what we saw of him in the summer league, I'm not, like, holding my breath that he's going to turn into a capable shooter. But at the same time, like, he's made an impression. Ed Davis liked him. Am yep. I going on too long again for you? No, this is fine. Uh, that, was a, that was a normal answer. You're, like, rolling your eyes. Oh, I, I didn't mean to this time. You're, like... Sagging, your head is sagging against your hand. Like oh, maybe, you're maybe I'm just tired holding now. It. <sighs> We need to wrap this up. All right, let's wrap it up. Um, maybe our listeners are feeling that way too. I think they're going to find all of this fascinating and have zero difficulty making it through. Good. That means we'll have a, a great podcast. And mostly because of me. <laughs> yeah, of course. Burn. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. <laughs> It's so great having you back. A lot of people I've have, missed you so much. I maybe I'm punchy. A lot of people said I look like Jim Gaffigan after I posted the uh, <laughs> training camp photos, the media training camp photos, 
And that's the first time I've actually gotten that in my life. And I think it's because I wear glasses where Jim Gaffigan doesn't. Um, but it also might mean that I'm like gaining weight and look like someone who eats pasta every day and like loves Hot Pockets. So what was most annoying about this was uh, Jim Gaffigan liked the tweet that said I look like him. So <laughs> I'm... That just made my day. I'm, uh, I'm on edge right now, Eric. I'm going to go boxing later. I'm going to tape up a picture of Jim Gaffigan on my heavy bag. People are going to be like, why are you punching Jim Gaffigan? That is weird. I'm like, no, that's Andy B. Larson right there. He called me monotone. No. Said I was droning on. Well. Punch him in the face. Facts hurt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, I will. (laughs) Let's wrap up the podcast. I'll see you later. I don't know what. Well, how do we usually do this? Oh, yeah. Uh, If you. Let's plug our website and our product. What a a good idea. Um, We write for the Salt Lake Tribune. We can only continue to write for the Salt Lake Tribune if we receive subscriptions. And so. If you want us to continue to write for the Salt Tribune, or really to anybody to write for the Salt Tribune, because otherwise there will no be, be no Salt Tribune, and you must subscribe. And for extension to podcast for the Salt Tribune. Well, we'll see about that. No. <laughs> we, we the newspaper is gone, but how about you guys still coming in podcast? Probably not. They pay us. Will they be paying us if we're no longer writing? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you guys should subscribe to... The Salt Tribune. You can do so by going to sltrib.com slash subscribe. It's only eight bucks a month. It's pretty good. It's a good you deal. Can, you can afford that. You That's can. like less than two Starbucks. Everyone compares every small thing to Starbucks. Why not? Because I think like... It's easily identifiable. What if you... People, people patronize Starbucks all the time. They're familiar with how much it costs. Yeah, but they like Starbucks. They don't want to give up Starbucks. I'm not saying they what need to. What if we to. tell them it's, like... It's simply contextual. What if we tell them tell them to give up something they don't want to spend money on? Like, it's only like a pound of broccoli per month. You think anyone is regularly buying <laughs> a pound of broccoli a month? I don't know. Probably not too many. I just, I, yeah, I, I just think we need to be smart about what we're asking people to take out of their budgets to add in the Salt Lake Tribune. And we're not even saying visit Starbucks less. We're just saying it, it equates to less than two coffees from Starbucks. For you to read this great product of ours. I think if you donate to the Sarah McLaughlin, like, helping kids in Africa thing, <laughs> reconsider. No. Uh, <laughs> what, else, what are we going to take away from people? How about, like, all right. Nothing. Life is hard, and we don't need to take anything away from people. Do yourselves a favor and add something to your <laughs> life that you don't presently have, which is the gift of our basketball knowledge here right. at the Salt Lake Tribune. sltrib.com slash subscribe. Also, this podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Here's what I promise you. If you send me your budget, I will figure out what you can remove in order to pay for us. Who is running on now? (laughs) End this thing. Put it out of its It's weekly run. Andy Larson, Eric Walden. We're out. Bye.